Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. Today, we are going to look at Proper 17. Now, we are in the second half of the liturgical season, which we call Pentecost. If you've been with me for several weeks now, you know that. And if you're just joining us, welcome to our program. We're going to be looking at the daily lectionary scriptures for Proper 17 as we move toward uh, the new season, which will begin in the, at the end of November, beginning of December, and that's called Advent. That's a new church season. But right now, we're in Proper 17, and we're looking at three sets of scriptures, Job, Acts, and John. Job, Acts, and John. Now, if you were to look at the lectionary scriptures, you would find that they also contain the Psalter or the Psalms. There are 150 Psalms in the Bible, but we are not including the Psalms for time's sake, but they are fantastic. And as I've said many times on this program, we love the Psalms. We just can't get to everything and speak about everything in any kind of great detail. But um, if you would like to read the Psalms and look at them, certainly that would be a wonderful way of learning. Now, we are in the book of Job. That's our Old Testament text, the book of Acts, which comes after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and before Paul's letters, 13 letters, and then finally, the Gospel of John. Now, let's look at Job. Now, we've been with Job for several weeks now, and many of you know that Job is an extraordinarily interesting book and a very unique book of the Bible. We don't know who the author exactly was. We don't know when Job was written. We know that it is a very profound book because it asks the question, I am suffering, there's evil in the world, why is this happening to me? Now, you may be, have experienced that many times in your life or certainly know people that have experienced that in their life. God, why is this going on? Did I do something wrong? Are you mad at me? Um, what signal did I miss? What thing was I supposed to do that I didn't? I don't deserve this. Life isn't fair. I'm sure you've heard that many times. Life is not fair. I don't deserve what's happening to me. Because what happened to Job is the devil came to God and said, boy, that's a very impressive person, that Job. Yes, he is. I bet you if I did some negative things to him, if I hurt him, or I took something away from him, I bet he wouldn't be as righteous as you say he is. And so God and the, the devil went back and forth a couple of times, and now Job is really in a very tough spot. Now, he's got three friends that have come to him to give him encouragement and advice. And so what we see in these scriptures that are laid out before you, we're going to be looking at Job 11, 12, 16, 19, and 22, is the response of the friends and the response to Job. Now, I'm not going to sit here and go through all the different uh, scriptures. Uh, it's quite voluminous. But what you want to do as you're reading this is to think in your mind, okay, what is this particular individual saying? What is that particular individual saying? How is Job responding to that? What is the truth of that particular scripture? Now, those of you that have um, study Bibles, you might look at the bottom of your study Bible, that's where the notes usually are, and you will see uh, notes referencing the text. Sometimes that's helpful. It's not particularly easy just to read it straight out, 
But if you're just trying to get an understanding of the scriptures and by reading it, it's still a good idea. What I'm trying to do is encouraging you to read, pray about what you read, think about what you read, particularly if it jumps out off the page to you, and then give you a few ideas along the way. All right, here we go. Now, in chapter 11, on Sunday, you can see Zophar is speaking. And verse 7 is real poignant. Can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? Well, no, none of us can. Can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can any of us figure out what God is doing? We don't have the ability to do that. God is limitless. He is infinite. We are finite and we are limited. Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? No way. So then the question becomes, then what are we supposed to do with that information? If we can't probe the limits of God and we can't fathom his mysteries, then what are we left with, right? They are higher than the heavens, verse 8. What can you do? They are deeper than the depths of the graves. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. Number 11, verse 11. Surely he recognizes deceitful men, men and when he, does, he sees evil, does he not take note? So they're giving Job a lot to think about. They're giving him a lot to think about. Chapter 12, Job is now responding. So if you were a very serious um, uh, scripture student, biblical student, you would take that you would be studying each of these guys and what they said, and that you'd, you'd learn that well, and then you would read what Job said in response to what they said. So that's he's responding to their inquiries and to their thoughts and to their theology and to their point of view. We're not trying to do that. We're just getting a feel for the, for the language and, and highlight some of the key theological points that they're making. Doubtless you are, verse 2 of chapter 12, you are the people and wisdom will die with you. But I have a mind as well as you. I'm not inferior to you. Who does not know all these things? So he's going back and he's asking questions. I've become a laughingstock to my friends, verse 4. Though I called upon God and he answered, a mere laughingstock, though righteous and blameless, but people are laughing at me. How do you deal with that? Verse 10, in his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. That is certainly true. Does not the ear test words? Does the tongue taste, taste food? Is not wisdom found among the aged? Does not long life bring understanding? To God belong wisdom and power. Counsel and understanding are his. Great line. So Job is accentuating and highlighting who God is and the way he works and his wisdom and his understanding. Verse 23, he makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and disperses them. He's in total control of everything. Now, all of us have a view about God along these lines. This is why this text is very important. And as you're reading through this, I'd ask you to think about that. What is your view of what God can do, and what is your view of what God cannot do? Is God sovereign? Is he providential? Is he in charge? Can he do, what can your God do? What is your God capable of? What does your God know? Job 16, starting at the 16th verse. My face is red with weeping. This is Job again. Deep shadows ring my eyes, yet my hands have become free from violence and my prayer is pure. He's under great distress. O earth, do not cover my blood. May my cry never be laid to rest. Even now my witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high. Beautiful poetry. Very profound. 
My intercessor is my friend in my, as my eyes pour out tears to God. I'm sure all of us have experienced that sometime. Well, we're pouring out our hearts to God. We're in trouble. We are desperate. Things are not going well. We don't understand what's happened to us. We may have family members that things, negative things happen, maybe even catastrophic events. And we're wondering, where is God? I prayed. He didn't answer my prayer. What is he doing? I cried out to him and he did not answer me. Only a few years will pass, verse 22, before I go on to the journey of no return. I'm going to get to the end. I'm going to get to the end. My spirit is broken, verse 1 of chapter 17. My days are cut short. The grave awaits me. Many, many people have thought that. Is there any more hope? I feel like I'm hopeless. God has abandoned me. God is not helping me. I don't know what to do. We just had this COVID crisis and pandemic. People have died. People have gotten very sick. Lots of worry, lots of fear, loss of jobs, loss of meaning, loss of purpose. God, what are you doing? What is this? Why didn't you prevent this? And finally, in our reading this week, Job 22, 1 through 4. Can a man be a benefit to God? This is Eliphaz. Can a man be a benefit to God? Can even a wise man benefit him? What pleasure would he give the Almighty if you were righteous? What would he gain if your ways were blameless? Well, these are just great questions. They're great questions. They're great philosophical existential questions. Can, can a person really help God? Can, can a wise person benefit? Can we live in such a way that we will benefit the Lord? But then he says in verse 5, Is not your wickedness great? Are not your sins endless? 21 to 23, verse 7. 21 of 22, chapter 22. Submit to God and be at peace with him. In this way, prosperity will come to you. Accept instruction from his mouth and lay up words, his words in your heart. You know what? That's good advice. That's good advice for all of us. Submit to God. Be at peace with him. In this way, prosperity will come for you. You will be blessed. Accept instruction from his mouth. Lay up his words in your heart. It's beautiful words in the middle of Job. Enjoy Job this week. Let's look at Acts chapter 11. We are on a journey in the book of Acts, we're talking about the church, the early church. Peter's vision in chapter 10 and Cornelius' house, the Holy Spirit falling down upon the Gentiles and they begin to speak in other tongues and they begin to be blessed by the Lord. 19 to 30, 11, 19 to 30. And then Peter, as we said last time, was sharing that information and how the Lord had blessed them abundantly. Now those, verse 19, who had been scattered in the per by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. So they're, they're just talking to Jews right now. Now he had ministered, as I said in chapter 10 and verse part 11, to the Gentiles, but their ministry still is going to the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, the Gentiles telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Now, the message that's sent out is called the gospel. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the message. It is not their message. It is not a political message. It is not a cultural message. It is not a secular message. It is a message from God Almighty that those that believe have a relationship with Christ 
and have eternal life, and they live in that faith in Christ all the days of their lives. And so we're going to Antioch. We're going to Antioch. And again, Paul uh, set for a whole year. Paul, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch, verse 26. Verse 26. Okay? So we are just sharing events as they take the gospel and go from town to town and region to region. Now, if you wanted to see where the regions are, at the back of your Bible, you probably have a geography text. You have maps. You have the geography of the area. You have locations of cities. And we have the Mediterranean Sea, and we have North Africa, and we have uh, Southern Europe, and of course we have the Middle East. And you look at that whole area and you can see the maps will help you those ancient maps will help you the journeys of paul and the journeys of all these people and where they went and where those locations are so you'll be familiar with them now in acts chapter 12 something very interesting happens um king herod in verse 1 arrested those who belonged to the church and intended to persecute him you remember the 12 apostles one of them was James, the brother of John, and he was put to death in verse 2 with the sword. There's it. Simple as that. And they put Peter in jail. Now, Peter was heavily guarded, and this is a fantastic text I hope you'll enjoy. And what happens is, is that Peter is miraculously set free by an angel. Now, remember, people, and this goes back to Job in lots of ways, Remember, God can do anything. And he sends his angels to accomplish his work. And these angels are very, very, very powerful people. Now, angels that have gone in the negative direction away from God are called demons. And demons are very powerful. They're not more powerful than angels, though. And so the angel lets him go. And he is miraculously delivered. And he goes to the house in verse 12 of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. People had gathered together and they were praying and Peter knocks on the door and they can't believe that he's set free. So Peter is set free. It's a beautiful chapter about John is killed with the sword. Peter is captured, but Peter is set free. But John has not been set free. It kind of coincides with Job. Lord, why did James die, but Peter didn't? Why did you save Peter? Why did you not save James? And so those are the questions that people like you and me ask all the time. God, what are you doing? And he just has one line, Acts 12, 2. He had, he, had, he, King Herod, had James, the brother of John, be put to death with his sword. We continue on. Chapter 13. Barnabas and Saul are set, sent off. Saul, of course, is Paul. In the church of Antioch, there were Prophets and teachers, verse 1, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up by Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. When they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, now, what you want to do in this whole enterprise of the, of the Acts of the Apostles, you want to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. While they were worshiping, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So they fasted and prayed. They placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now, so what Acts is about again is the exploits 
of the sharing of the gospel by different groups of people throughout the book of Acts. Okay? So we've met Paul, Saul, his dramatic recovery, his dramatic uh, recovery from sin, his dramatic redemption in Acts chapter 9. We've met Peter. We've met Stephen, who died, who's our first great martyr. We've met Barnabas, and we're going to meet more as we go through. So uh, I won't be reading this to you. They go to Cyprus. They go to Pisidian Antioch, and they share the gospel. They share the good news. Now, this is not like the letters of Paul, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, etc., 1st and 2nd Timothy, 1st and 2nd um, Thessalonians. It's not like that where he gives a more measured, uh, more measured writing, but the preaching in the scriptures in Acts is very, very good, so you'll want to pay attention to that. And so you might Look at that very closely as you're going through the readings in the book of Acts. So we finish this week in Acts chapter 13 uh, as we bring the light of the gospel uh, to the world. Now, I want to uh, I uh, want to call to your mind a very important verse. It's not in your listing. Uh, it will be next week. So please join me next week. And a hint is... Acts 13, 46. It's a very important verse and one of the most important verses uh, in the scriptures regarding the future uh, in terms of the gospel. And we'll pick that up next week. All right, let's look at John. Let's go back to John's gospel. We've been in John for a while and we will continue in John. That's our gospel of the week. We ended up in, uh, in John 8, 20. What did John 8, 20 say? No one seized him because his time had not yet come. Verse 21 of chapter 8. Once more Jesus said to them, I'm going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask. All right. So John is very different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke because he is showing the relationship between the Jews and Jesus. And they have several tete-a-tetes. They have several, uh, I want to say, uh, conversations uh, some of them are pretty conflicting and some of them are pretty heated. And what Jesus is doing is he's sharing the truth with them, but they really don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear what Jesus says. And what comes out of the conversations, and they're all rather long, is this wonderful theology that Jesus has. This is why, again, this is my favorite book of the Bible. He says in verse 23, a very, very profound sentence, you are from below, uh, below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be. You will die in your sins. Can you imagine someone making that statement? But he could back it up because he was the Messiah. He actually was the way, the truth, and the life. And we'll see in John 14, 6. I have much to say to you in judgment of you, verse 26, but he who sent me is reliable and what I've heard from him I tell the world. So God the Father and God the Son have this extraordinary relationship. The Holy Spirit acts as the third person of the Holy Trinity to send this message, which we call the gospel, out, which we saw in Acts, okay? And um, in Acts 11, 12, and 13, a lot of times that message, they were persecuted and they were put in jail and, um, and they were killed, they were martyred for the gospel. Now, before Acts, we have the gospel of Jesus Christ, about 30, 31, 32, 33 AD, and he has 
saying all these things that, thank God, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have written down. Let's continue on. If you hold to my teaching, verse 31, you, will, you are really my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You've probably heard that verse many times. Now, the truth is Jesus, and the truth will set you free because it is liberating. In verse 42, he talks about, uh, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and am now here. I've not come on my own, verse 42. And he says he was a, he's talking about the devil being a murderer from the beginning, not holding the truth, for there is no truth in him. And he is a liar, verse 44. He speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when you're, as you're reading John, you want to read it slowly, stop, think, pray. What is God saying to you? Because this is a wonderful forum of tremendous, tremendous spiritual truth for all of us. Okay? We go to chapter 9. And we have two days devoted to chapter 9. And chapter 9 is about the healing of a man born blind. And this man is born blind and he's healed by Jesus. And what's fascinating about it, it's a pretty long uh, reading, is that the Pharisees investigate the healing and they can't believe it happened. Well, no, who could believe it happened? Who can heal a blind man? But Jesus can because Jesus is from the Father. Jesus has extraordinary miracle working power because he is God man and God, and he is um, just an extraordinary person. Look at what it says in verse 5 of chapter 9, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So he is the light of the world, and he is the one that we want to follow to keep us out of darkness. And so you have the blind person who's in darkness, and then he is healed and comes out of darkness, the Pharisees think they're in the light, but in fact, they are in the darkness. You see how this works? It's quite brilliant, uh, literarily. You have a person blind that's in darkness. Jesus sets him free because he's the light, and then the person has light and can see. Whereas the Pharisees who think they're in the light and think they know the right answer actually don't and are in darkness. Look at what it says at the end. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard him say this, and what he said in verse 39 was, For judgment I have come to the world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. And the Pharisees said, Are we blind too? Listen to this last verse. If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin, but now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. You'll enjoy very much chapter 9. And chapter 10, of course, is the Good Shepherd. All of us need a shepherd. All of us need somebody to take care of us. All of us need safety. We need a great pasture. We need a great place to, to relax, to rest. We need a great uh, place for food and for water. We need somebody to protect us from the wolf and from those that are trying to destroy us. And of course, Jesus is that person. Verse 7, I tell you the truth, I'm the gate for the sheep. The thief comes only, verse 10, to kill and steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it to the full. That's God's goal for all of you. God's goal for us is life abundantly in him. I am the good shepherd, verse 11. And he says it again in verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. My sheep know me. So do you know Jesus? Is he your good shepherd? Are you following him? When he speaks, do you know that voice? Do you hear that voice? And as we go through these scriptures, Job, Acts, and John, and maybe an occasional psalm for some of you, 
We are listening to that voice. We're listening to the voice of God. We're listening to the voice of Jesus. We're listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Speak to us to lead us and guide us and to bless us. Enjoy your reading this week. May it be a blessed time and I look forward to seeing you next week for the Daily Lectionary. God bless you.